tour visor as well. Yeah, you should, you should know that it's not just a standard visor that Wayne Kiffin wears on the sidelines. Very different. Yeah. Um, we're live. Welcome to the Air Conditioners Lang Show. Bo Hostler today. When you're one of the few people that has an easy answer when someone says, what do you do? Most people, it's kind of convoluted on this show, but yours is really simple. Right. It's actually, it's funny that you say that because when people say, what do you do? And I say, I play golf. They say, okay, and what else? Or do you have a real job or, you know, is that your hobby or whatever? It's funny. Um, but it's like, it's, it's interesting to me. Some people don't understand that like professional golf is like an actual occupation. They think you're basically just uh, born on the 13th hole of a country club. Correct. How does that make you feel? <laughs> doesn't bother me. You, uh, you, I, I guess I want to go through a lot of topics. First of all, we, we're outdoors. It's an unusual outdoor podcast. Yep. We're actually outdoors on what I'm told is your favorite golf course. Uh, I'm going to call it number two behind Augusta. We, we played Augusta in college, um, and it was spectacular, and I think this is pretty darn close. Uh, just the, What I like about this course is you know they're taking so many of these beautiful old golf courses and ripping all the trees out and making them wide open kind of now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this one has all the trees that really frame the course. Uh, you know, these are hundreds, hundreds of years old, the trees. And I think there's something to that. I think it's fun to shape balls around trees. I think it's fun to have... Uh, a really called for shot that you really need to hit because you don't have the option of hitting the other one. Right. Yeah, it, it's interesting. So it, to give it away, we're at Riviera uh, in Los Angeles. And yeah, these trees are immense. Um, and what's funny, I mean, you know, I guess we can dive into this. A lot of people nowadays talk about, you know, um, uh, Fried Egg, um, you know, this architecture podcast. I don't know if you check that out. Mm-hmm. Um you know, but even like even architects like Gil Hansen and Tom Doak are always like, yeah, we're going to rip all the trees out. And mm-hmm. I mean, OK, I, I, I guess that's what's supposed to be good. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm, I'm just like you. Like I like, you know, um, you played Isleworth, uh-huh. you know, the second hole there, the par three. Yeah. Like it's fun because you of the trees. F- yeah, 100 percent. That hole wouldn't be very good if it wasn't for those two trees on either side of the tee box, really. Yeah. I'm almost wondering, like, you know, from a, from a creative perspective, right, like. You 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 play golf for a living, right? Mm-hmm. You you it, it it might be pretty hard to excite you creatively on a golf course, I would imagine, right? Yeah. I mean, do you, would you agree? Yeah, I agree, a hundred percent. And by the way, I I don't know much about architecture, and if I were to have an argument with anybody, I, this is just my personal opinion, and it's it particularly sticks out because so many of these classic golf courses are going back in that direction because it seems like the last to me at least the last eight or ten years there's been a lot of significant redos in golf would you agree yes um on serious golf courses top 20 golf courses in the world and it seems to me that a lot of them are going in that same kind of direction that you just described and it's refreshing to come play one that hasn't gone in that direction right um and you know they talk about putting it back to its original whatever right well i mean a lot of these trees were planted when it was built right potentially with the idea that they would grow and be big you would think they would be aware of that yeah i mean i'm just saying that i I don't know if that's the case or not but i would think that a lot of these trees are meant to be there for a reason and they're maybe they're meant to mature with the golf course right 
I don't know. That's just my thought. So uh, you are in a very small group of people that have played Augusta in general, but even mm-hmm. smaller, a group of people that have played there as, you know, a person who plays golf for a living. Sure. What, what, describe the experience of walk, how old were you? You walk out there the first time. Mm-hmm. How many times did you pinch yourself? Yeah, it's spectacular. We played there um, in college. We had some donors at the University of Texas that would take us there every year. It's pretty spectacular. And I think I was probably a, I guess I was a sophomore in college when I went the first time. And it was one of the only times I've been nervous on a tee box. Really? Not, not in tournament play or what I call league play. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. It's one of the only courses, maybe the only course actually in the world that I knew every hole before I ever was there. You know, it's, it's interesting because you mentioned that and you mentioned, um, sort of, you know, like, I I guess I don't know what your words were, but a novice architecture, you know, whatever. Um, a lot of pros don't seem to care about architecture as much. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of like. You, you're you're treating it just like I'm showing up and I'm just trying to beat I'm just trying to beat the course right mm-hmm. I mean what what's your mindset when you show up to a course it, what, are you just looking at spots are you looking you know you, you just talked about beauty which is kind of rare right I mm-hmm. mean what, what what are you looking for when you show up to a new place as far as for the tournament um, yeah or just as a golfer just I mean okay. you know whether as a you're golfer, um, I think it's different when I show up playing a tournament and when I show up just playing I'll give you an example I went up um, this winter and played a course called the Valley Club in Montecito. You been there? Yeah. And I was absolutely blown away. And it's uh, Alistair McKenzie design. I think it's probably been, you know, redone a little bit. And it kind of has a some uh, feel of what I was just talking about where they opened it up. But for the most part, it's, um, you know, kind of cut through the canyon and got some ravines and stuff. And it is spectacular. And... I felt like I really had the opportunity to enjoy the course a lot more in that setting where we just went up with, with some of the boys and played some golf and, you know, played 27 holes and had a nice dinner and, and went back to Orange County where I was spending a lot of the month versus had I shown up there to play a tournament, the first hole, I would have said, okay, where do we need to hit this ball? What are the places that we really got to avoid? Stuff like that. You know what I mean? So when you go out for fun, you're not looking at spots? No. You, what do you, how is that? I mean, that's interesting to me. See the pin, hit at the pin. You don't care? No, I mean. A five doesn't even, you don't even, there's no concerns about making a five. Ever. I don't care what I shoot when I, what, in that setting. I mean, now if I'm getting ready for a tournament. Right. But that's not going to be at a new course. That's going to be my home course practicing. But I'm saying if I'm going to go have a trip and. The, the point was to enjoy the day and be with be with some friends. You know what I mean? Right. Have some good food, play a good golf course, have a great experience. That's where I think I, I really appreciate a golf course and I appreciate the beauty of a golf course. And that's kind of what I like about here is you don't really have the option to not notice. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, it's just there. It's, you better notice it for performance and for beauty because... You step up on holes like um, 13 out here. Yeah. Uh, dog leg left. You got to, I mean, it's a bowling alley. It's wi- It's a relatively wide bowling alley, but if you hit this ball left off the tee, it's going to go about 100 yards. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so um, I think when I get to play a unique course for fun is when I can really appreciate the experience of playing that particular course and 
kind of, I guess you could call it the architecture of it. You know, it's interesting. As I've never heard anybody um, talk about this, at least from your, um, you know, class, right? From your from your point of view as, 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 a, as a professional golfer, what you just said really struck me because I have found in my life um, golf is less fun for me when I try to score. Mm-hmm. And you basically just kind of said the same thing, but mm-hmm. it, but I would never expect you to say that, right? Yeah. And and I found that amongst all the other amateurs that make up you know nine thousand percent of the game, yeah. they feel the same way that when when they go out there and try to score, it's like they're usually much closer to, you know, uh, being dissatisfied or whatever mm-hmm. that leads to breaking mm-hmm. a club or whatever. Yeah. Do do you experience that as well? And 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 tie that into your experience of you know other amateurs that you you know hang out with mm-hmm. uh, I would say most definitely that I enjoy enjoy playing the game of golf more when I'm not in a tournament but I would say I enjoy my five hours on the course a lot more in a tournament because of the competition and what's at stake and stuff like that and it's what I've prepared for do you know what I mean right but as far as like having fun having fun I have way more fun when I'm not playing a tournament but that doesn't necessarily mean I enjoy it more. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm saying if I could choose to play a tournament or not play a tournament, I would play a tournament a thousand percent of the time because that's where I get to see the fruits of my labor, right? I get to see my preparation and I get to learn from that and I know that it's important to me and I'm hitting shots where I've worked 13 years to get on the PJ Tour, right? And it's like, okay, now I have a chance to play and this is what I've worked for and I continue to work for Monday to Wednesday before the tournament. And then now I get to see what we got. But yeah. as far as like enjoying the day, enjoying the beauty of a golf course, stuff like that, way more, way more when I am playing recreational golf. Yeah. I mean, I guess for the, for me as a filmmaker, right. I, I enjoy playing golf with no cameras. I have a great time, mm-hmm. but if I had to choose, I would bring the camera and I would get quote less pleasure out of the golf, but I would have more meaning in my life. Uh-huh. As a, as, a, as a professional golfer, where, where do you put the meaning on, right? I mean, you're, you're uh, what are you, 23 now? Is mm-hmm. that right? Mm-hmm. So, right, I mean, <laughs> that's crazy to me, first of all. Like, when I was 23, I was probably, like, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Do, do you have any perspective on how young you are versus how much is going on in your life? Yeah. It's funny you should ask me that because I've, I've just thought about that recently because I've been in a spot the last at the beginning of this year, I'd say since the calendar year started, so, you know, a month and a half or whatever, where I feel like I'm playing significantly better golf than I have been in the last year, but I haven't seen any result for it yet. <laughs> I mean, whatsoever. You right. know what I mean? Right. But it's you mean like, on Sunday? I just mean in general. Right. I feel like I'm as comfortable over the golf balls I've been in a year plus. I feel great on the greens. I feel great about my decisions it's just I haven't seen the results yet and I had to remind myself that this is a career that hopefully is I mean it could be 30 years sure. of real competitive play well Bernard Langer yeah could be longer I mean yeah how many times has Bernard won on the Champions Tour we got 30 wins on the Champions Tour many times but I had to remind myself that I'm 23 years old and sometimes it's difficult because you see a lot of guys having a lot of early success right now which is amazing for the game and, you know, I've had some success, but I certainly haven't lived up to the expectations that I've had yet. But I have so much time ahead of me 
even just the season. I mean, we're I think I've played maybe eight events. Yeah. And I'll probably play 25 or 28 or something like that. And there's so much time. And you look back on moments like this, like, man, I, I just haven't gotten anything out of it. But it's such a this month. Yeah. It's so short. Yeah. But it feels so long because I'm playing golf every day <laughs> and I'm grinding on the results. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it is a long career. And you look at a lot of players some of the best players in the game didn't have true success till their 30s, some of them. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just crazy, and it's different for everybody. And I feel like I'm on the verge of playing really good golf. But I also need to remind myself, like you said, that I'm 23. Do you ever make decisions based on that idea that it's a long career? Certainly. Like what? Uh, well, when I dislocated my shoulder, I as hell didn't want to go have surgery and be out for a very extended period of time and you know I, I played a tournament six months later but I was not nearly ready to actually play and compete I mean I was a shell of what player I was the day before I tore my labrum right but you know there could have been an avenue potentially for me to try and rehab that but it was like look I need to get this fixed I want to be a hundred percent healthy for as long as I play yeah and if that means I got to bite the bullet for six months to a year then I need to do it and so I did it. You know, I've seen a lot of young players have to make this call. And it just seems like it's probably one of the hardest calls to make, barring, you know, extraordinary difficulty. Right? I mean, you, you're basically because there are some options in there. Who who do you take most of the advice from in your life around things like that? Well, in that particular scenario, I mean, the doctor, sure. I had a great doctor. Um, and, you know, he said, look. You need you need to get surgery. I mean, yeah. You, there's a potential that you could really bust it, and it could be okay. But you're just going to have the same issue down the road. You just need to do it. And so I was fortunate to have very professional advice in that area. But you know, I have obviously a great family. I have a great manager. I have tons of great people around me. And ultimately, in truth, I listen to myself a lot. And I think I have a pretty good idea of what I'm doing for the most part. I think I'm good at looking at things for the long term rather than the next five minutes in front of me and so you know I, I think I'm I'm good at that I'm a little bit hard-headed I'm a little bit stubborn but in fairness I think for the most part I make pretty darn good decisions and try and learn from any mistakes that I make that that idea of listening to yourself I have a couple thoughts around that or a couple questions really it took me a long time to be able to do that yeah. to, to be able to even hear myself to, to understand like what was insightful and what was sort of based around fear or, you know, naivete. Has that just kind of been a natural thing for you most of your life? Yeah. I think I've probably just been a little more mature than my years since I was young. I mean, I've, I've played golf. I've been around older people since I was 11 years old. And so is that like kind of uh, siblings or is that just, no, uh, I just social? mean people just like where that I play golf with. I mean, I play with, play golf with 50 year old men when I was 13, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Right. And so I didn't really have a choice. I've always been, uh, very curious. I ask a lot of questions. I try and learn. Uh, when I play with people, I try and learn what they do. I try and learn about the basics and the nuances of what they do in their industry or their walk of life or whatever it is. And so I think I've been able to learn a lot. I think I've been able to learn from my own mistakes, as we all should. Um, I don't think mistakes are necessarily a bad thing as long as you're actually getting some kind of benefit out of it, right? Yeah. So I just, I feel like I 
when I do what I want to do, I feel like I'm fully committed to that versus doing something that someone else wants me to do. I'm just not really 100% on board sometimes. Right. Well, and that probably goes back to the uh, unique, one of the one of the un- most unique aspects of the game of golf, which is that you're a team of one. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, you have a team. You have everyone yeah. that helps you win, but there's no one else on the mound. There's no one else at the plate. It's just Bo Hostler. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that, that gets me excited. Yeah, it's great. That's what I like about golf. That's why I play the game. It's You're right. I mean, you have people around you that you hope can help you. But at the end of the day, if I hit a six iron in a bunker, I hit it in the bunker. I made the decision to hit the six iron, and I did the preparation to hit that six iron. And so in whatever avenue you want to blame it, it's, it's still me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can't say that oh, this guy over here didn't do his job. If, if he's not doing his job good enough, then I need to find someone that's going to do it that good. Well, and you specifically, uh, for your for your caddy, you did not choose a veteran, mm-hmm. right? Tell, tell, tell me about that um, decision. Yeah. So my caddy is a friend of mine that I've known for years now. And, you know, he caddied at club, golf clubs, but it's, it's far different than caddying at a professional level. And, um, you know, I, I felt like the relationship with your caddy is superior in some ways to having the experience. Um, I felt like I was able to kind of help him mold into what I was looking for as a caddy. And I think it's different for everybody. I think some guys would rather have someone that's caddy for 30 years. Some guys wouldn't. And not saying that one way is right or wrong. I'm not saying that sometimes you might even change your mind, right? Some guys have had a caddy that's caddy for 30 years. And then, uh, for example, um, you know, I think like Rory McIlroy changed from his caddy, who's he had tons of success with, to I'm pretty sure the guy that caddies from now is just a friend of his or was. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe those perspectives change, but that's where I was at that time, and I think it's it's gone well. He's a obviously a tremendous friend of mine, but I think he's done a really good job molding into exactly you know what I want him to do on the course. What uh, what is the back and forth like between the two of you? I mean, a lot of people listen to this podcast. May- may have not ever even played with a caddy sure obviously uh much less right been in a situation nearly like yours what is that relationship actually like on the course on in on the road yeah i I would say that anytime you're around anybody for a significant period of time um you need some time away from each other and then obviously we spend a ton of time together so he's a great friend of mine but at the end of the day when i'm playing um you know, I hold them accountable. I hold myself accountable and I'm there to, to win and to compete and to be the best that I can. And so, you know, that friendship on the course, in my opinion, it, it goes away for those five hours. It's like, Hey, we're here for a reason. We're here to, to be professional. We're here to do things appropriately. We're here to be smart and make right decisions. Right. And so, um, I feel like we, you know, I'm, I'm hard on them sometimes, I try and keep it light on the course, um, but at the same time, I'm I'm very competitive, and so it's a uh, it's difficult to describe that actual dynamic. And truthfully, I mean, it changes sometimes daily, right? I mean, just like any anybody's relationship with anybody else. But I think we have a extraordinary friendship. I'm really glad to have him on my bag. He's done a phenomenal job, and you know, it's cool to have a friend of yours in in battle with you. Tell me about your friendship and kind of how the decision to work together, uh, you know, 
well, the genesis of it all, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so he actually worked at the, I grew up at Mission Viejo Country Club. He yeah. worked there in the cart barn, so I knew him from there. We had some mutual friends. He's a friends. cart barn guy? He was. <laughs> he's not yeah, anymore. No, okay, he's on tour. Um, and then, so we've just had mutual friends. He played golf at um, Saddleback Junior College, which is right near where I grew up. And he was up working at Eugene Country Club. And I played the Pacific Coast Amateur, and he caddied for me up there. Uh, did a good job. Was wearing a what looked like a beekeeper outfit. It was it was kind of a strange week. We were up there in maybe August, and so the caddies there they needed to wear similar to like what the guys wear at Augusta, the the white jumpsuit type deal. Well, that week, believe it or not, in Eugene, Oregon, it was like 108 degrees or something. It was, which is like unheard of. I mean, it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's like high desert or yeah. high forest. Yeah, right? it was strange. I mean, I, I think normally in the summer it's in the 80s, maybe the 90s, and it was so hot. So he's wearing this bucket hat. He's got a full-blown towel over his head, just blocking all kinds of sun and stuff. So it was, it was a funny, it's funny for me to look back at it and, and see it. But um, he did a nice job. We had a hell of a time. I played well. And, you know, I was turning pro, and I said, you know, you want to come loop for me? He said, yeah. Sure enough, I injured my shoulder. I was like, okay, well, just put you on delay there for about six months. Um, but, yeah, he's done, a, he's done a nice job. We started with no status anywhere um, coming out of college. I left after my junior year, and then he's caddied for me. And those sponsor exemptions that I had at the beginning of, I guess, 2017, yeah. And then I got status on the web.com through a Monday qualifying and whatever. And then uh, he's been on me on my bag for half a year on the web when I went, got my card. He carried from all, all last year and then this far last, uh, this year. So was he with you at the U.S. Open, the, 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 the first one? No. My godfather uh, caddied for me before I turned pro. No way. Oh, yeah. Legend. Legend. Oh, yeah. You, so you, I mean, come on. I didn't realize that. Your godfather's on the back. Yeah, he caddy for me in U.S. Juniors and U.S. Amateurs, U.S. Opens. Was that one of the highlights so far of, of your career, you think? That uh, certainly, um, yeah. It, I mean, it was, yeah, it was an amazing experience. But, I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, just the competitor in me, I finished 29th in the tournament. I didn't win the damn tournament. So Sure. I, I had some brilliant moments, and particularly at that age, it was phenomenal to do that. But... Looking back on it, like when I finished the tournament, I was pissed off. Well, I'm sure Rory was pissed off after, you know. Yeah, I'm just the saying, tenth but, hole when in, when he was 21. Yeah, no, you know what I mean, though. Yeah, I, I'm no, saying I, 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 I'm there to compete and win. I don't care what age you are. You're competitive people. Everybody out here is competitive. Not everybody, but for the most part, you don't get out here by accident, being okay with finishing 40th because finishing 40th on the Web.com tour doesn't get your, your PJ Tour card. Do you? I can't, so you, I can't tell if you don't want to talk about it or not. Do you, do you want to? I don't like to talk. You about don't it. like no, to. Because, I, well, I feel, because I feel everybody, that. everybody <laughs> makes it seem like the greatest thing ever. And I had some awesome moments, but it's like, it's, it's one golf tournament. I finished 29th. Okay. Um, <laughs> everybody yes, leave I me was, alone. I was 17 years old. It was a phenomenal experience. Right. It was something that I'll always in, look back and enjoy the experience. But for me, it was more. Uh, validation that I could compete out there, which is very positive. But as far as like looking at the result of the tournament, uh, I wasn't stoked about it. No. All right. Well, let's drop it. You know what I mean? I'll stop talking about it. Yeah. But I, you understand what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. It's like everybody 
when I talk to them about it, they're all excited about, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm like, okay, well, if you like T29, then yeah, it's the greatest thing ever. But I had some amazing moments and I learned a lot of really positive stuff from it. And I think it's made me a better player, honestly. Yeah. Well, ultimately, from a media perspective, right, people are going to come at you and they're Mm going to say, how do I know you? Mm -hmm. Right. And they're going to look at all of these things. And that's for better or worse, one of the reasons why they're going to know you. I 100% agree with you, and I respect it, by the way. It's yeah. just for me as a player, as a golfer, and as a competitor, it was um, something for me to learn from, and it's made me a better player, and that's why I look at it in such a positive light. Right. Um, I know uh, one of the ways I got to know you is I'm a huge fan of the Tour Pfizer, yeah. as, are, as are, I'm sure, you know, a lot of fans of Bo Hostler, right? So, right. what you know, because there's not a lot out there on tour. Yeah. I don't, th- I don't quote me, but I, I would be surprised if there was maybe anybody else that wears the old school classic Imperial Tour Visor. Imperial. Yeah. Do you work with them or no? Oh, yeah. You do? Uh-huh. So you Adidas, uh-huh. Imperial, and what's, what's on the wrist here? TaylorMade. What's yeah. on the wrist here? This is don't a worry guy. about it. I don't, no. No. He's not going to talk about no, it. I bought this one. You, hey, it's okay to buy a watch. That's yeah, all right. We don't so if talk you about buy... It's <laughs> a lot... There's a lot of uh, I saw, I saw your wrist coming. action too. We got you know I'm into watches. Colts into watches. I am here. too. We'll uh, we'll wait till we power down. How, how long have we been going here? Um, I do want to hear about everybody. Hang on a second. All right, cool. We're halfway through. We're gonna go to a uh, we're gonna go to a commercial break from Adidas. Everybody, stay. Do you have any words about Adidas you want to say? Yeah. Um, you know they've in college. I I we wore we wore Nike at University of Texas and. Um, you know, I'd wear some Adidas stuff in the summer and I liked it and I feel like they've, they've really made some serious strides the last few years as far as performance, but also kind of the look they're going in a little bit more of a traditional look, which I like, obviously we're in the tour visor, right? Yeah. And so I was, I'm not all about wearing super bright colors or super funky stuff. I like to keep it pretty, pretty chill. And they've been able to implement kind of that style in, into a very performance line, if you understand what I'm saying. Sure. They've been able to kind of mold both together, which for me is ideal. Right. Um, and it's been super nice, obviously, working with their team. They take my f- feedback seriously, um, and it's nice to be heard. Um, and I, I've noticed some some very positive implementation of what I've talked about. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. What size you got? These like a 13. No, 10 and a half. 10 and a half? Oh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, pretty standard. I don't know why they look so big. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, we'll be right back. Everybody stay tuned. All right, folks. You know my favorite golf shoe, don't you? I think you do. It's three-stripe life, y'all, and that means Adidas. Um, And so anyway, I just wanted to tell you that when I'm I'm a big fan of the Tour 360, obviously, and uh, they've made a huge update to the Tour 360, and uh, the... Two letters that it's concerned with are the letters X and T, okay? The Tour 360 XT changes the game, okay? It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round. By the way, a light golf shoe is what I'm all about. A heavy, there are some other companies making heavy golf shoes, and I'm just like, by the way, I weigh enough. There's enough going on. I'm carrying a golf bag. I'm carrying my team. Um... Tour XT changes the game. It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round, and it still features that boost, y'all. Do you know where boost comes from? It And boost is cool because it only comes in black and white. I don't know if you noticed that. And actually, they the guy who made boost like was going to bring it to some other, you know, they, they were shopping it around, 
And everyone else said no. Adidas was like, I'll take that boost, even though it's only black and white. And what did Adidas do with it? They made it awesome. I'm looking at boost right now on my feet. Boost on my feet. Uh, and it has an X-shaped traction system that gives you insane stability. Literally, it's not sane. It's literally crazy. Your feet will literally be like, I'm crazy. Best part, it comes in spikeless. Ooh, that's tight. The first spikeless ever in the history of the Tour 360. Crazy comfortable and perfect for the course. Get your pair at adidas.com. Thank me later. Follow Adidas Golf for all the latest and greatest. That's all true statements right there. Check it out. Go support Adidas because they're a good company, good people. I like it. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. Um, one of the things that comes up when we're trying to learn about Bo Hostler is you're fascinated with real estate. And business. What, what, what is that? Is that just kind of like, um, is that because that's where you were? I don't know. Tell me why. Well, um, I like to learn about different ways to make money. And to me, that's something that's, it's fun. It's not even about the actual, like the compounding of money. I just, I like the concept of learning about it and different ways to do it. And that's kind of what I was getting about, getting at when I was telling you, you know, I like to pick people's brains, right? Fortunately, in golf, we get to play with a lot of people that have had some serious success in so many different areas. And so I like to learn about it. Um, I like the concept of, like for real estate, it's it's nice if you can have a property that's going to appreciate. And then if you're renting it out, you're actually having income on top of that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because when I talk about stocks and bonds and stuff, I personally, you know, there's so many things to it that I, I haven't really taken the time yet to fully understand. Right. And I like to really understand stuff. So <laughs> Most golfers kind of spend their lives going crazy over this. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously I have great, my godfather, that caddy for me, is my financial advisor. Oh, okay. He's at Merrill Lynch, and he's, he obviously takes great care of me. But as far as my personal interest, I think it's fun to talk about different properties, kind of what the properties do, um, and different strategies and stuff like that. I think it's fun. As far as strategy, I mean, teach me something, right? Like, like as far as strategies, what do you even mean? Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, so you know, you talk about you, you have your residential real estate, and then you have your commercial real estate, um, and you have people that are or companies that are some are owning their real estate that they have their offices. As some of them are doing these leases. Some are, I mean, you wouldn't believe, you know, super super long term leases, guaranteed leases, and for a property owner, that's enormous. It's guaranteed income on that property for X amount of years, right? Right. Um, and so, you know, I like the idea of taking something in general that's old and decrepit and turning it into something kind of revived and new. Um, and you mean I, like quite literally like a warehouse or something? Yeah, I'm just talking in general. I mean, isn't it, isn't it kind of a cool concept? Let's just talk about residential homes. Isn't it kind of a cool concept to take a home that looks all beat up and turn it into something cool? Yes. It's nice, right? Yeah. I think it's fun. And so that just interests me. I think it's beautiful to turn something from old and run down from the 60s or 70s into something new and fresh and even implementing different styles, right? And so just from a non-financial point, I'm just talking about just reviving. Just creativity, it's, it's yeah. It's cool, right? Yeah. And so 
um, if you can do that and make a little money, I think it's kind of a cool deal. It's like the art of real estate. Yeah. Like, like, like choosing where you live as like a creative expression. Yeah. I mean, or, you know, just designing, uh, you, you, I've been to so many cool places now and to see the different types of architecture and different styles and stuff like that. You even look up on the hill here at Riviera, right? And it's like you could go 10, 10 houses in a row and none of them are remotely close to the same thing. <laughs> That's LA, Is, right? Isn't that neat? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I like to learn about all kinds of different stuff and business in general and the art of making money and compounding money is, is, is to me very interesting. Yeah. Was that interesting to you in school or is that, yeah. is that sort of new? No, I've always been interested in it and I, I studied finance at, at Texas. Yeah. Um, and in truth, I feel like I've learned significantly more by picking people's brains than I did ever in a class there. Interesting. And that they, because it's conceptual, you're talking about numbers versus I'm talking to someone who started from nothing and created serious wealth or success. Right. I think that's a cool, um, cool concept. And it's, you know, you can talk about that with baseball players that have come from countries that are dirt poor, or you can talk about people that have built a real estate empire or they've um, created a tech company or whatever it is. Yeah. Pretty fun. Yeah. Well, and you're kind of going back to like maybe some type of like, uh, you know, ancient type of storytelling with a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like, tell me something about yourself is supposedly one of the best questions to ask somebody in an, in, in an interview or in a random, you know, uh, on a random tee box. Right. Yeah. I, I just, I really enjoy learning about things that I don't know. Right. And it's fun. It's fun to, it's fun also to just hear the story itself of how some things have happened. Right. Right. Some people have been very successful, um, by luck right they've had a good idea but you have to have that spark of what actually clicked to where the ball got rolling right you know what i mean yeah yeah so it's fun to hear stuff like that and it's fun to understand you know it's it's interesting to me because so many of my friends obviously just go to college and then they're looking for a job and you know just off the top of my head it's like man i can't really think of that many things that you can do but then you're like okay well who makes the stop signs <laughs> Who yeah. makes the stoplights? Yeah. Who makes the concrete? Like basically everything's a job if you look at everything. Around. A tree. Uh, you got to prune it. Trim it. Tri prune yeah, trim it. That's what I mean. Remove but, it. But think about it. all those things. I mean, you you talk about guys that make tons of money in um, uh, mobile home yeah. sites. Yeah. Stuff like that, right? Yeah. That you just never would think of that people have success doing. Everything's a racket. Yeah. Poor potties. You. There's one right over there. That's right. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to use it after this. You don't have a ring. You're not married. What, you got a girlfriend? What goes I on? Do. I do have a girlfriend. How do you have a girlfriend on tour? That it's seems tough. It's difficult. Tough. God bless her. How'd you guys meet? You, are you comfortable talking about it? Yeah. You don't um, have to. Don't no, say anything you don't want to say. No, she's, um, we knew each other in high school, dated in college. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you have to have the right type of girl out. I would say probably in any professional sport, but maybe in golf as much as anything. I mean, we travel so much. She comes with you. No. Really? No, she works. She's in Austin, right? No, she's in California where I grew up. Oh, wait. Yeah. Okay, but you, wait, where do I you live? I live in Austin. Okay, that's complicated. I live in Austin, yeah. She comes out to some tournaments on the West Coast. She'll come for the weekends when she's done with work, and um, she will, you know, travel out, and then I'll try and come and see her, you know, when I can. But right. it's tough. you got to find someone that's independent, um, that isn't particularly needy, right? It, right? It's difficult. I mean, it's hard to say, but it's just the truth. It's totally. for, a, for a successful relationship. I don't, I don't have the time, honestly, nor the 
mental energy. I mean, this is it's a grind out here. It's a grind. And so I'm tired, and I don't have the time to sit on the phone for an hour every night. What's your typical, uh, what's your busiest day of the week that's not a tournament day? Um, Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday probably. What does Wednesday look like typically? Okay, I'll just run you through tomorrow. So I'm taking off at 1220, assuming the weather is good, which I don't know if it's going to be. But if it is... I'm probably going to come out. My coach is in town. I'm going to work with him for an hour and a half on whatever particular part of my game I need to tune up before um, Thursday. But I'll do that. I'll play our Pro-Am. That's going to be a, easily a five-hour round. Um, I will see, before I see my coach, I'll see my physio and get a warm-up. Uh, take about 30 minutes. Then I'll play my Pro-Am. Pro- Due to darkness, I'll probably not do anything afterwards just because i'm playing in the afternoon but i'll go see my physio again for another hour i'll eat some dinner and i'll get to sleep that's it i mean it's a it's a busy day when people that don't know professional golf think golf they're like okay your day is probably a five-hour day it's my day from the time i wake up and really start my golf process it's probably close to nine hours and on like an off week what does a practice day look like is that is that a grind uh, it depends. Depends you what you're doing. You can easily overdo that, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's you have to kind of see where you're at. Sometimes you're gonna want to go and like literally not unpack the clubs. Well, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, if you're tired, I've, I've this will be my fifth week in a row, and so um, I actually feel really good. And the cool part about playing over here, I feel like I can do five in a row because they're all pretty darn close. The travel's not that bad. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, if you're going back and forth cross country for a few weeks, you're pretty darn tired. Yeah. So I might not take out the clubs for a few days. But when I'm home, I mean, I'll uh, try and get some competitive games with some other pros around. I will. What does that look like? It's funny. I don't. We'll just like, for example, Nick Watney and Andrew Landry play at the same club as I do called Spanish Oaks in Austin. And so we'll play and we'll get another member that's a really good player um, and we'll we'll play either a team game or individual game but it doesn't have to be high stakes it's just something to get competitive and to know that your competition's legit right and i don't have to give 20 strokes i'm playing with a guy that i can play straight up you know what i mean <laughs> yeah 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 and so it's it's nice to have a little competition and to have going back to what i was talking about earlier a little bit of meaning on the shot right versus me going and playing by myself for 9 holes and it's like okay well I really could care less if this six-footer goes in, with the exception of I just want to see it go in. Right. But to have com- competition is nice. Yeah. And so I'll do that. Um, and then kind of what I was talking about with tomorrow, I'll work on whatever I need to be working on and try and keep all the other tools sharp as well. Right. Do, do you think that there are many ways both – I mean, I guess if you're – uh, not in the actual moment during a tournament or also um, if you're not a golfer, are there many other examples of life where things get that intense, right? Where the six footer counts to the degree that it really, really counts. Mm-hmm. Right. Have you experienced that in other parts of your life? I mean, I don't know if I really have. No. It's so unusual and golf is <laughs> really, really weird like that. Cause also sure. Like, uh, you know, in, in a lot of other sports, it's reactionary. Mm-hmm. So in golf, you're just like literally carrying your luggage of ideas to the ball. Mm-hmm. What do you do to like block it out or whatever you do with the, the uh, mental in, game? In the tournament? Yeah. Well, I think you become, there's two things. A, you have your routine that you do no matter what. And I don't even think about it. I just do it. Hmm. Um, like a, you're talking about like a 30-second routine or I'm something? I'm just saying when I hit a shot, Yeah. I, 
for example, when I putt, I read my putt. I use the green book personally, so I, I'll do that. I have my read. I'll line up. I'll put my putter down. Or sorry, I'll take two practice strokes looking at the hole. I'll put my putter down. I look at the hole three times and I putt. But it doesn't matter whether I'm putting to win the golf tournament or I'm putting on the putting green. Doing the same thing. It feels the same? It doesn't feel the same. No, it doesn't feel the same. But if you can get get to where you don't think about it, it's just putting. Right. And so that's part of it. And the other part is the more you have pressure putts, the less pressure you feel. Right. It's just a relative thing. Yeah. And so I know you did a podcast with Cameron McCormick. He's my coach. And I was talking to him yesterday. And it was a kind of an interesting thing that I never really put into perspective, but I thought about it. And I was telling him that sometimes I will feel more pressure playing to finish out an average week than I'll feel playing to win a golf tournament. And I'll tell you why. When I have a 150-yard shot on the 18th hole and I'm in 7th place or 20th place or whatever it is, I'm trying to turn something. Maybe I wasn't hitting my irons that good that week, and it's like, man, I'm just not real comfortable right here. And I just want to get this over with. I want to hit a good shot and get out of here. Versus I'm on my game, and I am on autopilot, and I'm not even thinking about it, and I'm just going to go let her rip because I know it's going to go where I'm looking. You know what I mean? Right. When you're playing to win a tournament, you're playing damn good. Right. And you don't even need to really think about what you're doing because you're just zoned in. You got your swing dialed in or your putting, whatever it is, versus when you're grinding out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because every shot's important. <laughs> and I had a buddy of mine run some numbers last week. Okay. Just just conceptually to think. Because I feel like I haven't been making make particularly good decisions on the course lately. Kind of going back to what I was telling you how I feel like I'm hitting it well, but I've been just making some errors, oh. course management errors. And it's been really frustrating me. So I had him run some numbers. Last year, had I played one stroke better per tournament in every tournament. So a quarter stroke quarter per day. Quarter stroke a day. Which is a lot. No, it's not. It's one stroke per tournament. You're going to hit the ball 275 times this week. Okay. Ish. Okay, one stroke. All right. One stroke. I'm saying, you know, a, you. A I didn't want. I, I didn't want to run. I didn't want to run the numbers on one stroke around because, like you said, that's, that's astronomical. That's, that's a huge deal. Yeah. But I think one stroke a tournament is realistic and doable. Right. I would have made 1.3 million more last year. Okay. Which is wild. That's a lot. But going back to what I was saying, when I think about trying to grind out a top 15. Yeah. And I'm not feeling great with my swing, and I got I want to get up and down from a buck seventy on the last hole, make birdie. For that one stroke. Yeah. That's where I'm a little bit like, all right, little like, you little want, anxious. You want to right? I see what you're saying. By the yeah. way, what are you hitting a buck seventy? Usually seven iron. Seven ish. Um, but uh, you, you know, you understand what I'm saying there? Yeah, and I'm gonna try to follow it up because I want to. I want to learn a little more about what you're saying. So what you're kind of saying is, does this kind of have to do with the idea that? When I'm on my side, when I'm watching golf on television, I'm seeing red zone. I'm seeing just the best players Correct. on their best days, on their best holes. Correct. And in that moment, you're saying that you're basically in your own little red zone where you're just like, you're just seeing you're the spot dialed and in. hitting it. You're dialed in. You're not thinking, you're not, you, there's no thought. There's no club face. You're not, you're not, you're really not thinking anything outside of just simple calculation and then go, pull mm-hmm. trigger. Mm-hmm. 
But when you're not on TV, mm-hmm. you're like, where's the ball going? Yeah, there's a reason you're not on TV. <laughs> well, not necessarily where's, where's the ball going. I've had weeks where, um, like for the most part, I putt really well. Yeah. And so I don't think about my speed. I just, I'm just usually have really good speed. Well, last week I was freaking hitting everything way by the hole and I'm literally thinking about my speed. Uh, so that's the stuff that will make me anxious and nervous. Right, right. You understand what I'm saying? Well, yeah. So I mean, when I have a 30 footer on the last hole and I want to make it, but I really want to get down to two for sure, it, it makes me uneasy where I'm like, okay, well, my speed's been jacked up. I got to be like conscious of my speed here. Uh, you know what I mean? So you're, is that, a, is that a true, is that you're telling me that, does that happen last week? Uh, in certain scenarios, yeah. So you're literally pulling in different thoughts to... Well, I'm telling you, if I just went natural reaction, I'm going to hit seven, seven feet by the hole. So <laughs> we're not going with that. <laughs> did you did you determine in this particular experience why it was going so far by the some, hole? Some weeks it's just, you just haven't... I mean, it's golf. It's hard. Some weeks you're spraying the driver. Some, some weeks you're hitting it straight. Some weeks you're hitting it pure. You know what I mean? Whoa. So it's... um. It's a weird concept where I probably just blew your mind where it's like, why, how could you possibly be more anxious over something that's, you're not playing to win? See, what's funny is actually, uh, obviously we're different in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but we're probably very different in that way because the idea that you would be more comfortable in a pressure situation mm-hmm. is foreign to me. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm better when I have nothing on the line and I'm probably going to shoot 85. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, then I can swing freely, and then I start really hitting the ball. Yeah, and it's like so I'm like double double, mm-hmm. and then I'm like all of a sudden it's like whoa I'm I'm actually now I've had seven pars in a row, which for yeah. me is like pretty good. Right. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, I just think that when you're playing really well and you're in contention to win the tournament, your confidence is very high with whatever you're doing. I mean, there's a reason you're in contention, right? And so it's like just keep going with it, but. The reality is in golf is that's that's pretty rare. You're you're not going to be firing on all cylinders very often, and so I'll give you an example of like last year I had uh, the 18th hole at Houston. On I ended up losing the tournament a playoff, but I had a 30 footer win the tournament on Sunday on 18, and I'm putting. It's a tough speed putt. Yeah, I'm going uphill and then flattening and even going downhill. Um, and it's difficult because the ball's running away, so your speed's got to be right on. But I had this 30-footer, and I didn't even have to think about my speed because I, I, my speed had been great all week. Well, yeah, and at that point, you're just you're probably are you putting to make, or are you kind of trying to be safe? I, I'm putting to make, but I want to make it the right way. Right. I want to make it with it going no more than two feet by the hole. Okay. And I had a I had a great putt. Honestly, it should have gone in the hole, but it left me this. It left me four inches. Yeah. Uh, great, putt, yeah, uh, great putt earlier but in the I day. didn't but I didn't have to think about it versus had I had that putt last week at Pebble I would have been like all right well let's go ahead and pretend this hole's five feet short <laughs> you know what I mean and so that's that's where I'm getting at it's like that was if you were to think of just pressure that was the biggest pressure of my life on the golf course but it didn't phase me because I didn't I didn't I had full confidence that I could pull it off at that time have you found a gimmick that works inside your head on the golf course what do you mean by gimmick um, some people say they visualize that the hole is huge. Some people oh. say that, you know, they pretend they're already OB. No. Nothing. No. What is it like? There's no way you've ever heard a pro say that. Uh, Bubba says it. Bubba says that it. That he pretends he hit out didn't of bounds? He, didn't he say that he's the one that pretends he's OB? 
Oh, no, no, no. You know who said it? No, I'm sorry. It was um, John Smoltz, not a pro golfer, but oh, okay. a pro baseball player. But he said it about golf. Yes. He's a pro baseball player. <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> but he's right. a good golfer. I retract my statement. He, he is a good golfer, though. I, I'm sincerely sorry. The podcast <laughs> is over. <laughs> no, but I mean, you're right. They would never say that. But I, you've, I've, I've heard some things like that. Yeah, yeah. Because well, yeah. earlier on, like I, I remember a couple years ago, I asked Jordan, "What's it like to be in the zone?" And he goes, "The hole looks huge." Okay. I'm wondering if there are things like that. I mean, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of from what I'm hearing you say, it sounds like when you're in the zone, basically, your entire experience of golf is just easy. You're just on autopilot. You're not thinking. You have confidence to not have to think. You know what I mean? Right. I feel like when you are confident you're going to do something, you don't need to think about how to do it. You just do it. But that's that's tough to come by because it you, it doesn't happen that often in golf. Right. And the key and what the great players have done, in my opinion, is they're able to win when they aren't firing on all cylinders. Yeah. That's what makes a really good player elite. Best example of that? tiger i mean how many times have you watched him hit the ball off the earth seriously you know what a tournament i think of uh i think of last year at the pga championship he didn't win the tournament but he was damn close to winning the tournament i mean this is no offense to him whatsoever that was one of the poorest driving exhibitions i've ever seen he would say that and he was all over the flag with his irons he putted i mean it was phenomenal but i'm thinking like 99% 99% of the people that drove it where he hit it would shoot 80, and he <laughs> shot 66. It's just wild, you know what I mean? And so what he's been able to do, he's won 80 times on tour. I promise if you were to ask him how many times he played and was firing on all cylinders, you know, a fraction of that. Right. For sure, I guarantee you that. And that's what makes him unbelievable is the fact that he's won tens of tournaments when he's not with his B game or C game or whatever he wants to call it. Well, it makes me think of a couple of things. Like one is we don't give him enough credit for being super creative, mm-hmm. like from the trees or wherever it mm-hmm. is. And the other is when we look at like some of the highlighted shots of Tiger's career, mm-hmm. they're always from like weird spots. They're not in the middle of the fairway. <laughs> You're like, how did you get there? No. Or even the one that they keep replaying recently. It's the one where he completely, uh, he doesn't duff the chip, but he, the club just slides under the ball. Mm-hmm. And it's like it doesn't go anywhere. And then he chips it in, and you're mm-hmm. like. The one at Memorial. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. But just so you know, I don't know if you've been there. The place that he chipped that ball in from, is it, it just couldn't be more dead. <laughs> it's amazing, but that's my point. It's like he's what's made him so elite is that he can win when he's not playing great. When he's firing on all cylinders, at times he's borderline unbeatable right but he's been able to squeak tournaments out where he's not particularly playing well and that's that's what it takes to be the best in the world and I think you've seen that with Dustin a little bit the last couple years is you know he'll have some tournaments where he's maybe not putting that great or whatever but you know guy gets it done yeah you know it makes me think of uh, one of my favorite moments on the podcast uh, so far this last year has been Alfonso Ribeiro you know uh, he talked about loves golf talked about how um you know, he's not really afraid when he plays golf. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, it's interesting. Why? And he goes, well, because I'm not really afraid of any outcome. There's nothing that could happen on the golf course that's going to mess with me. Sure. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I think the way you're kind of talking about Tiger's game is, like, kind of inspiring me because it's like, well, you know, he clearly has a deep confidence in his uh, second shot ability. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm curious to know outside of golf or outside of the swing itself, what is what is what has Cameron taught you? You think that's really, you know, made a large impact on your life? I think, um, I think the best thing that a golf coach can do is to help you coach yourself when you're in the heat of battle, when you're out on the golf course. And so what I mean by that is the last thing that I want is to be dependent on him to tell me what to do. I want to learn with him and from him about how when I'm on this hole on Saturday and I'm not hitting it that good, how I can put a Band-Aid on it and get to the house. Know what I mean? Yeah. That's, in my opinion, the key or the separator of what makes an elite golf coach. And I worked with Jim Flick was my first real influence in golf. And I mean, he's worked with some of the best players in the world, but his, he would always call me coach (laughs) because he wanted me to coach myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that's a very underrated trait. There are a lot of guys that can go on the range and have someone tell them what to do and hit it great. But what does that matter when, when you're out in competition and he's not there to tell you anything? Mm. I, I've learned my tendencies. I've learned some what Cameron will call plays for me to call in order to get things back back on track. Mm. And I think that's a huge, huge quality and a compliment to him. Uh, we're going to wind up in a second. I just have a couple other quick questions. You know, I could only imagine what it's like to be in your shoes. I, I've kind of been talking about that a lot, this mm-hmm. this, this, this discussion here. But, like, what what... I know that I, you know, we talked about the U.S. Open, and, and you're kind of like, no, nah, I don't want to talk about it, you know, and, and I'm no fault, right? But 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 I can relate. Like, for me, like, there are things that really piss me off about um, my own performance, mm-hmm. right? That I'm like, ah, dang, I mean, that was a mistake. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. And 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 I'm kind of trying to learn from you, like, what do you do after basically a bad round? Mm-hmm. And you're like, ah, you know, like I, you know, like what 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 are you looking for? What do you, like? What do you want someone to text you? What, what do you what do you, what do you do? Do you go watch a movie? What what do you do? Because it seems like golfers, unique to a lot of other sports, there's no one else they can blame. Mm-hmm. No, you didn't get beat. No, no yeah, one. I beat myself. You beat yourself. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is with golf, though, in general, is you can use those to improve. And so, what I mean by that is. I'm going to be real upset when that's over. But by the time I calm down, I think I do a pretty good job of saying, okay, let me go back and really analyze what happened and move on. It's pretty easy to move on when you play 28 tournaments a week, <laughs> 28 a year, right? <laughs> right. And so I know I can, you know, for example, you know, go play in Phoenix. I have a really good Sunday. I'm looking, or really good Saturday. I'm looking forward to a really good Sunday. And, just kind of stalled out a little bit. Didn't play an atrocious round, but just kind of stalled out. And I was bummed. I was I was up not bummed. I was upset about it. I was pissed off. And I was able to get on that plane from Phoenix to Pebble Beach and I felt like I had a really good reset with myself and said, "Okay. Here are the mistakes I made. Why why did I do that? And what can I do better? And why how can I avoid doing that in the future?" Um, right. And I think that that really helps me to swallow it more because I can really look back on every bad round and say, you know, there's an opportunity for me to do something different in the future that's going to help me perform better. And so if you can look at it in that way, I think it's a lot easier to swallow. Certainly some of them are a lot easier than others, but the reality is 
one of the first things you said, I'm going to be playing for a long, long time. I'd rather get these things out of the way early and learn from them and be better from them than dwell on them and let them affect me. Yeah. Well, awesome, dude. I'm really excited that we got a chance to spend some time together. And yeah, uh, yeah I'm excited to, uh, I, I want one of your tour advisors. Do you have extras of these? Where do I get one? Yeah, so if you go in the merchandise tent, no, I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, you got This is unique. No, I got you dude. covered. Yeah, this I got is, you covered. What is on both sides? It's it's just it's, it's a, just a tailor made. Because tailor doesn't sell this. Not to they my knowledge. They don't sell it. They make it just for you. Mm-hmm. I like it. Imperial makes Maybe we it. can give one away on the pod. Maybe you can to. sign one. We'll give one away. Love to. Uh, what should we have them do to win it? Whether they need to guess some fact about you that no one would ever know, Ooh. or a piece of trivia, and then you can tell me after we stop recording. What would it be? Mm. This is challenging. This is the toughest this question is... you've asked, actually. <laughs> what it what or do not. people not know about Bo Hustler? Yeah. Um, Birthmarks? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I would. Why don't we go with what was the what was the tournament that I gained status on the web uh, web.com tour from? I love it. What was the tournament that Bo gained status on the web.com tour from? Also, I'm curious to know real quick, just before we finish, Monday qualifying. Mm-hmm. Just like what is going on with Monday okay, qualifying? I, I will give you, I can give you a story and that's all I'm going to say about it. Okay. <laughs> okay. I played the Monday qualifier in Phoenix two years ago. I had no status anywhere. I paid $500 to play. It was 170 players for three spots. I teed off in the afternoon wave. And there was a 62 and two 63s before I teed off. And you got the greens are like waffles. It didn't matter if I could play in the purest course ever. I had to go shoot nine under to get in a playoff. Right. That's just the way it works. Brutal. It's a nightmare. It's brutal. It's harder than the tournament. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's insane to well, me. Well, you got to shoot 66 pretty much on a given week to get in the tournament. Yeah. 67 maybe. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time. Looking forward to. Uh, I'm looking forward to sporting that visor. It's, oh yeah, it's clean. No, this thing is this thing's badass. What other tour players are like that sick? A lot of them. I think there's a lot of guys that wish they could wear it that that can't. Why not? Because of sponsor money. Mm, yeah, I mean, I kind of had to finagle this a little bit, but I like it. And it's I think, clean. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have a little different look. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, people. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Thanks have for having good, me. Have a good week, man.